hey, there's fear involved. There's anxiety involved. There's, you know, I, you know, this is my thing. This is my baby. Don't call it ugly types of things. So there's lots of go- things going on there. So, uh, so that's the whole podcast. Thank you uh, for joining. Um, <laughs> that's all topics. Cue um, outro music now. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> another episode of Consultants Saying Things. I'm Chris Lockhart. Uh, today I'm joined by Shashi Shramali, Bill Bensing, Carol Hamilton, and special guest Mike Walker, Mike the Architect Walker. Um, Mike has been blogging about um, enterprise architecture and architecture in general for, I don't know, 15 years or so. Um, and I've known Mike through the interwebs um, over that time. Um, glad to have you here, Mike. Um, you know, today I'm, I'm hoping we can we can delve into something that I take very personally, which is sort of the role of architecture, right, in enterprises, um, especially right now with, with the, the ongoing crisis and the ongoing pandemic. Um, you know, uh, would you, can you introduce yourself quickly? And I kind of want to ask you, you know, the architect, Mike, the architect, what is an architect in this context? Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's the challenge, right? Uh, you know, everyone kind of has their own theories on, on what that is and what that isn't. And uh, it ranges from something very tangible uh, to, hey, you know, I'm here to write specs and build models and, you know, help people with detailed technical decisions all the way to the other end of the spectrum around enterprise architects really being a form of management consultancy. You know, enterprise architects, you know, really being in there to help drive significant business decisions using their technical acumen, using their business acumen, using their, you know, uh, critical thinking and analysis to drive the organizational organization forward. And so that's really where, you know, as far as my background is concerned, that's really where I've focused my career is more on that other end of the spectrum. I've been between Fortune 50 and startup, my own companies in Fortune 50. And it's funny because I started an architecture organization thinking enterprise architecture was a solution to a problem. Um, I love where Mike was going with this because EA is something you do, not something you are. Um, I may have paraphrased that in my own words. So Mike, if I'm, if I'm misrepresenting what you said, just let me know. No, you're good. Uh, but what I liked it, and let me, I don't know if this is your thought piece, but uh, we're going with this is like architecture. So it's product person. I'm a software product person. Go from right now, CTO, um, building IoT, AI, and basically becoming the Tesla of moving and storage, uh, which is fun because we're getting into some stuff with Google called dev board. So it's all tech strategy down to tech implementation. Um, but when I get to it, I look at the EA and I look at the role, um, and, and, and Mike, let me know if this is your thought piece, but, uh, Gartner's big term, at least a couple of years ago was Vanguard architect. <laughs> <laughs> You're smiling at that one because the biggest thing I look at EA is I realize is most companies are trying to make that jump, right? They're trying to make that jump from being an IT shop, which is a bunch of ticket takers, technical ticket takers that can't talk to a person to people driving top line strategy. And it's funny when I saw EA, once the last company that stood the EA organization, that was the whole purpose. Like, hold on a second. We got a lot of ticket takers and we got people who want to talk strategy, but we have nobody to bridge that. So let's bring some folks in our tech strategy. So let's bring some people in. Let's bring, let's build out a competency that can actually talk to people and understand how to drive strategy. And I'm not talking about, we need, you know, 20% growth. I'm talking about true strategy and tactics and to bring it. Um, so yeah, through being out the spectrum, when I've looked at it is I, I'm actually, and I've been fighting with the concept of architecture in the past eight months. Um, and it's, I don't believe in architecture anymore. And it's a really, and I make that statement prou- and proudly because coming from it, it's like, hold on a second, engineer, architect, program manager. When I look at, you look at the true tech companies, I've been studying a lot of literature from Google, a lot of people that are on the ground. Um, and I was talking, we were talking about Spotify earlier, like from a true tech company, those folks that drive it, they're small product teams that drive product to market. They have all of these skill sets. And so looking at where companies want to day and the people that are going to be listening to us want to go is they're probably asking these same questions. And it's like, hold on a second. You don't need a team of architects. You don't need a team of engineers. You need a team of product people. Now, the skill sets they need, they need to have these competencies in X, Y, and Z. Architecture is one of them being able to decompose large problems and smaller things. But uh, yeah, I'll stop right there because I can keep going on this. But at the end of the day, I think um, I'd almost say just as I thought the uh, bimodal IT was bullshit, 
um, I would almost say EA is dead. Um, but and I, <laughs> <laughs> so, and I love it. That doesn't from a Gartner analyst because I got some of these opinions, but I love the concept of where Bible will keep from. But anyways, I'll stop there and stop. Oh, there. that's that's fantastic. Because if you go with you know some of the folks that actually some of the folks we've had on on this podcast who have been writing books about EA enterprise architecture for a couple decades now, you know, um, you know, EA has been uh, dead and resurrected several times. <laughs> Over I don't, I, Chris, so I don't well know how many reasons. times I've heard e, EA is dead, long live EA. Yeah. Um, Shashi, I mean, you and I have both been on enterprise architecture engagements, and I'm quite sure that the partners involved in those engagements did not view architecture in the way that it was just described. So, so first of all, you know, we have set a new record. This is the first time in last two, three years of this podcast history that uh, I'm talking so late in the oh, podcast. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Sorry. Sorry so, about that. So, so, so that, that is good. Um, so my journey with all this architecture thing kind of started uh, back in IBM when I was like five, six years experience. They had a course and it, they never tagged it as an enterprise architecture. They called it architectural thinking course. Now I understand the meaning of it because you got to think like an architect, yeah. right? You got to think like it's, it's not a designation. I mean, anybody could be an architect. I'm, you know, you don't like the term enterprise architecture, but Bill, I'm 100% sure you think like an architect, right? So I identify a person or connect with them, not based on their designation of being an architect, a person who can think like an architect. That's number one. Second thing is to me, even the CEO of a company is an enterprise architect, right? He doesn't deal with IT. He doesn't have to deal. So it's one of the function he deals with. But what he does is he has different pieces of his corporate puzzle. He needs to fit in together to generate value for his shareholders. To me, that is how even a CEO of a company is a chief architect of the company as compared to anything. So these are the two points I wanted to make. Third thing to, to answer, now answer to this question is uh, from consulting standpoint, um, enterprise architecture skill set requires um, a very sharp degree of advisory skills or management consulting skills. Your ability to communicate the value of IT to business, as well as your ability to understand business and help them leverage the power of technology. And this is exactly what we have been done doing over the past you know, few years around our enterprise architecture engagement. You don't have to call them an enterprise architect. It's like problem solver, not really solving technical problems. It's basically structuring the problem and going through a methodical way of trying to solve it. And if you you know, add technology side to it, how can you leverage technology to sell, solve some of those business problems? And some of them would be related to people and some would be related to process. Yeah, yes. and I, no, I completely agree with you, right? Because we would always approach it as, you know, what business problem am I solving, right? With this architecture engagement that I'm <laughs> drafting up. Um, because, you know, it's, it's always difficult, especially in management consulting to go in and start talking like uh, an enterprise architect uh, because a lot of times clients think an enterprise architect is an IT architect, is a technology. Exactly, yes. Oh, you're an enterprise architect. You're here to tell me about the systems and the platforms and the, and it's like, no, no, no. I, I'm an, an enterprise architect. I'm an architect of the business, right? I'm here to help you think through some of these problems that may have a technology component. Now, Carol, you coach CEOs on- I Probably, probably on dealing with consultants in some cases, right? To Bill and Mike's points, the guy who walks in the door and says, I have the model that you need is the one who should probably be just walked right out the back as fast as they get there. Um, I like the points that Shashi is bringing up where you're really talking about how am I helping you think and am I adding data into that conversation? And the, the key that data adds in is it gives them something, a, a way to retell it. What I'm seeing with a lot of these consultants who come in and they're talking to the leaders is they're so busy selling their product instead of thinking about who does this guy have to tell? So if you're my CEO client, Chris, I got to come in here and demonstrate for you what I think and why and why I think you might want to think that way too. But then I have to give you the words that you can convey to somebody else to sell it, whether it's the board, the shareholders, whoever it is. And I find that to Shashi's point, so few consultants are really coming in with those management skills saying, who does this guy have to tell on the other end of this? 
And so I like the whole idea that we're not just thinking about models, we're thinking about leadership. I, I relate this back in my early days, I was a, a golf caddy. And I would provide the data, I know, I've, I'm a weird human being, but my, my husband was an aspiring professional golfer and I'm who he could afford. So that's why he, things worked out okay, but not great. And so what happened is I would provide him with data and say, here's what you can do. Now, which club are you gonna swing with the most confidence? Because that's the right model, that's the right confidence. Because, and to Mike's point earlier, you're the one who might end up in jail over this, so you should really feel good about this. And so I think when we're coming into this, we have to come in with the data that we believe in, we have to come in with the IT that's gonna support it, and then absolutely with that management communications piece. How am I telling you, and how are you gonna tell the rest of the world? Now, now, Carol, I'm gonna I'm gonna poke the bear a little bit here. Awesome. And and say, uh, so I agree. Uh, you know, the you know first and foremost, you have to have the data. So that's why you have the job. That's why you've been invited to the meeting. However, and this is a big however, even if you're the smartest person in the room, even if you have the answer and you have all the data, and if you don't have gravitas when you walk into the room, if you can't command the room, if you can't squelch the noise. If you can't make the executive that you're talking to feel connected with that data that you're presenting them, then, you know, the classic mistake that I've seen with enterprise architects and management consultants and other roles of similar flavors, uh, because they're all very similar flavors, uh, is that the biggest issue is that EQ side. It's, I cannot command a room. I can't get people to be on board. Why won't this guy listen? I, I got the answer. I'm just giving it to him on a silver platter. And so, I, you know, I think a part of this is, you know, I wrote a, a, a post about this a long time ago. You know, I said, IQ get, gets you the job, but right. EQ lets you keep your job. Yes. Right? And yeah. so I 100% agree with you. It's about giving them the, the relevant, impactful data, but right. also the package in which you're delivering that is so much more important, right? Uh, you know, we expect the smart guys and gals to be able to, to have the data. It's really about the delivery. And I think you would probably agree with that, Carol. I really do. And EI is one of my favorite topics. I actually was just working with one of my global clients who said that that is all they want to talk about going forward because they feel that their consultant grew. That's the skill that they're missing that they do understand the data, they do understand the model, and they don't understand how to read the room. They don't understand how to think in terms of what is that client really going through? What's their, what's their soft spot gonna be? What's their key fear? And then this is a world where we're dealing with fear at a level that nobody's ever seen because it's the unknown. And if you don't have a concept as to how to manage fear in people and not be afraid of their fear, you're out. Or at least you're not as deeply in. So learning how to manage the fear on the other side of the table, I think is absolutely critical. So uh, back all the way back in 2001, I'm running an enterprise architecture team uh, for this bank, uh, Fifth Third Bank. You, I mean, you guys can look it up on the LinkedIn profile, so I might as well just name the company. Um, so Fifth Third Bank, second you know, largest EFT provider in the country, seventh largest bank in assets, you know, uh, you know big deal. And we were rejiggering what enterprise architecture means and doesn't mean for the organization. One of the first books all the way back then that I mandated that my team read was Primal Leadership and mm -hmm. Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Yep. And between the two, I've got the emotional intelligence side that says, oh, okay, we've got to look at ourselves and how we're communicating and how other people want to be communicated to, but also the team dynamic. And knowing, I love that story in five, five Dysfunctions of a Team, I think it was the CFO, mm -hmm. uh, was the smartest guy at the company, but he's, he didn't last when the company went public. He was right. gone because he pissed everybody off. And so I think there's really important parables there that uh, everyone, any professional can learn, but especially for these more strategic thinkers, enterprise architects, that at the end of the day, we're communicating with people. And what resonates with people? Incentive. So if you want to understand the behavior, if you want to change the behavior, understand what are the incentive drivers and communicate to those. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Bill was talking last time on our last session, talking about that 
people were doing these kind of blind layoffs and, you know, flailing about trying to save cash and that the job of walking in was also to investigate where is the real money being spent and how are you communicating that with your leaders so that they're not just flailing about looking for a solution, but actually sitting down and taking a breath. And to me, that keeps coming back to giving them that addressing, I know you're scared. I know you're absolutely terrified and I know you're leading a a, a team of 200,000, however many people it might be, of really frightened people. Let's start there and then let's go looking for the solutions. So far, we have been talking about a perspective when um, an external person is hired to be an enterprise architecture advisor, right? So that is a whole different world of role of an enterprise architect within the client environment, like if you're working for Toyota, if you're working for, you know, Moody, some bank, so there is an internal enterprise architecture role. Now you can split that role, and I would love to know your thoughts, Mike, uh, and Bill, for you to critique um, all these three different levels, right? So is enterprise architecture a thought leadership team or an advisor within internally within the firm? That's number one. Second is, are they executionists where they deliver something, they should be responsible for delivering something. And third thinking, third thing is just a governing or an audit body where, uh, you know, you would have multiple hundreds of projects running. So they go and they conduct audit and things like that. So those are like different kind of role and where they fit within an organization. Sometimes they are clubbed as part of your PMO. I think that's uh, not correct. Sometimes they are within embedded within as part of an IT should they be outside IT and should be reporting into uh, probably your chief administrative, chief operating officer instead of IT? Um, so those are some of the questions which are very interesting. Of course, I have an opinion, but would love to know from- I interrupt. Before Mike, you get started, I want to say something, Shashi. Um, I love how you said Bill critiquing Mike. Sometimes I feel like Mike should probably be critiquing me. <laughs> hey, we're yeah, equal opportunity critique here. So exactly. uh, you critique me and then I'll critique you. Um, <laughs> so, you know, here, here, here's the, the interesting part about this. So, you know, I did the count um, a few months ago because I was asked in an interview about how, how many uh, enterprise architecture organizations have I talked to when I was specifically at Gartner, because I could actually keep count, uh, because I would have inquiry calls, 30 minutes, or I'd be at conferences and sit down with folks. 4,500 enterprise architects in five years. That's a lot of architects. <laughs> and, you know, uh, there were some common patterns. Sorry, I was muted. I'm sorry. I, I Never mind. I, I saw you waving. So I, 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 was, I was doing this. I was doing a lot of this. Um, I don't even know what I was saying. Oh, I know what it was. 4,500 in five years, probably at a lot of different levels of competency as well. And and defined differently depending on what org you were talking to. And and I don't like to go back to things like maturity models because I don't believe in maturity models because they're uh, not really business driven and they don't really take into account um, uh, really what you want to be and what you want to do. It it assumes that you want to be the greatest in this particular area, but maybe you don't. So the example that I use is uh, I want to go running. And I want to do it every day. One goal could be I want to run a marathon. And that workout is going to look different from, hey, I just need to shed a couple pounds. Or, hey, I used to run in high school and I kind of like it and it kind of de-stresses me and I want to do that. So based on your outcomes, you need to figure out what sort of competencies and capabilities do you need. Now for EA and all that range, you know, uh, if we use a simple construct, I would say on the simpler less mature side, uh, most of the people I talked to were in that realm. So I would say largely 70 to 80% of that 4,500 were saying, hey, Mike, we've restarted our EA program. How do we do it right? Uh, hey, I'm really struggling. You know, what can I, what, what can I do? Uh, you know, I'm trying to sell an executive, whatever it may be in that category. There were very few in the higher end of the spectrum. And because this is hard. It's not very well defined. Same thing like with other roles. We pick on EA, but if you look at CIOs, they got a shelf life of what? Three years? Four years? You know, that's even less than an EA, right? If you're going around and you're being the traffic cop, that's the classic mistake. You know, you're going around slapping people on the wrist because they're doing the wrong thing. They didn't follow the right standard. That doesn't work. Uh, It doesn't work for other roles and it doesn't work for EAs. I can tell you myself, I've been in that position where I had to chase people down. 
it, it's just not a good position to be in. And, you know, when you think about structuring these things to be effective in organizations, yeah, you can go chase people down. And in areas that are highly regulated, you might get away with a lot of it. But you're going to alienate all your colleagues, they're not going to want to work with you. And they're going to like, okay, I know I have to, but I really don't want to. You don't want to be in that position. Enterprise architects and how I've tried to structure my EA teams is about enablement, not enforcement. Okay. So creating a self-governing structure where there is this creative tension in the organization. And how you do this is, you know, I described this as well in another blog entry where I use the analogy of the federal government. Separate EA into three major branches the executive branch, the legislative branch, and the judicial branch. And each one of those branches, you should have different people. So for the judicial branch, where decisions get made, put the decision makers there. Put the IT leaders, put the business leaders there. Have the chief architect chair that architecture review board or steering committee or whatever you want to call it. The legislative branch that creates the laws or the standards or the best practices, the guiding principles, all that stuff, Elect the experts, the SMEs in the organization, you know, the, the lead architect for security, the, the lead architect for this or that, uh, a super great guru developer that knows all about development standards and next-gen UI, you know, bring those people in. And what that does, instead of you now chasing those people down, it's self-enforceable because if you create the standard, you don't want to go against your own standard. And if you nominate someone that is kind of a thought leader within the organization and really smart and recognized, then other people are going to follow and it's going to be this hurting effect. The executive branch really gets into your first question, uh, Shashi, uh, and, and what I've observed and what I've done in my EA practices is what it looks like inside companies is we help with the strategic planning side. So we know there's seasonality to all this. So we know if, if you're in a calendar year and not a strange fiscal year, uh, that, you know, around, you know, October timeframe, everyone starts getting together and saying, hey, what does our next year operations plan look like? And then what does our long range strategy look like? How do we update it? What should we do, et cetera? EAs play a vital role there. They play a vital role in the innovation management process. So that whole Vanguard EA thing, that we say is bundled in. A lot of my work today at Microsoft, and I'm not an e, uh, titled as an EA, but I do EA things. I go and talk to business executives. You know, last week I was talking to an executive board of directors at a top, you know, Fortune 10 company, right? Um, about digital transformation and how AI technology, blockchain technology, IoT technology can transform their supply chain right? And talking to them in business terms and talking about what innovation can do to their business and create new monetization streams. And so the second part of that, in that third pillar in the executive branch is really helping create foster new ideas. We don't know what we don't know, but we can give you some data that's going to help you figure out what we want to be when we grow up. And then, then lastly, we know that there's all these, you know, big bets that companies make. Hey, I want to create, um, I want to be the the Airbnb for Hilton. I'm just making this stuff up. Uh, I want to, you know, I want to redefine, redefine logistics because I want to compete with Amazon. You know, there's going to be big bets that companies are going to make and they want to de-risk those projects. So they want folks like EAs that can come in and facilitate the decision-making process to make it faster, to make it uh, less risky, but also report back to the executive team and translate what this means and course correct when needed. First off, in my mind, you're a good EA, a good architect in general, or somebody has these capabilities is can execute. Um, you know, I always go back and I relate this to myself because what I'm doing right now, but I'm in the back right now building Laura. Um, uh, if anybody's familiar with Laura Wireless and Mike, you're probably with that. Hey, hey Bill, can, before we lose the thread, yeah. I, I want to comment on your first comment um, about uh, founders and EAs and all that, because uh, I think this is an it's an important distinction. Um, you know, we talked about before, if there's any consistency, there's inconsistency in the definition of an EA. And some of that's on purpose, because strategists and innovators need to be somewhat malleable. Yeah. Now, let's put another dimension on this the size of the company, and based on the size of the company, there are different needs. For a small, you know, I, I've worked for startups early in my career. I, you know, it's been a long, long time. But just remembering back, we would never hire a, tr a traditional enterprise yeah. architect. We wouldn't hire a management consultant to come in unless there was a, a dramatic need to do so. 
So you wouldn't hire an architect either. Wouldn't hire, hire an architect. Exactly. So, you know, when you look at an enterprise architect, just like a lot of these other roles, it's a mashup of different competencies. So if you go to a great example is the open certified architect uh, certification for EAs. So I'm on the board. I'm a level three chief architect, yada, yada, yada. Um, So I go and I interview people and it's not about what you did, but it's how you did it. So it's based on your competency and what you've delivered. Very much like if you're going to be a doctor, you have to go through a residency and you need to prove that you didn't kill anybody. So, you know, with with that, you know, when you go through that, the questions that we ask, we say, you got to have project management skills. You got to have, you know, strategic thinking skills, critical thinking skills. You need to be able to architect from a technical perspective. You need to have all these this cocktail of things to be an enterprise architect. The same is true for these founding roles, but I think it's, oh, we're going to take away this and we're going to take away this. And then we're going to have these key technical thought leadership uh, abilities and the ability to execute business savviness, to be able to go in front of investors and to be able to communicate these ideas, et cetera. So I think for us to try to fit an EA into every situation, I think that's a classic mistake that has been made in the past. And that we should just say, look, we don't need this capability right now. When we get to a certain size of company where we do need these extended capabilities, then we bring in an enterprise architect. We grow into it, but we don't necessarily start off with it. Does that make sense, Bill? It's interesting where you're coming from that one because actually I wasn't, you know, I may have, I don't know if I said something along those I actually was thinking differently because you're right. From the startup, you wouldn't bring an EA in, but I would also, and I'm going to make a very I may make a very crass term, and this is me exploring the fact that I believe EA is dead. I wouldn't bring an EA into a big company. I'd bring a founder in, um, only because. And I'm, and then maybe let me just elicit my my perspective here. It's when you think about um, top line growth and top line revenue generation, it's about value creation. And I don't believe, and I think a bit of where you're going with some of the stuff you're talking about EA is you need somebody here who can drive value creation. And I don't believe the traditional perspective of architects are value drive are creation driven and it gets back to shashi your three points are they a thought leader yes they need to be a thought leader because they need to be on the front of building knowledge for people that's what a thought leader is right they're building new knowledge for people um you talked about execution absolutely they need to be able to execute you know one thing they need to be able to get hands-on to help explain because communication you think about it reading is a skill that we have to teach ourselves but we are monkey see monkey do we follow what other people follow we understand by getting hands-on so absolutely do they have to be executionists and third was the governing body aspect and mike this is a funny one i go back on the the different spectrum but i believe and, and i love actually um i don't have you read some of the books on google's from their site reliability engineering and sort of how they do structure internally so they have these they basically it's you know i'm going to overgeneralize it but there's a lot of product teams and they sort of operate in and of themselves and they have some general guidelines and standards for google but you operate in of yourself and netflix does this too but then if you want to hand your product off to a central group that manages it you have to go through sort of a standards and review to get to this thing where you can hand it off which is a hybrid model of extreme standardization towards a spotify model which is extreme destandardization and get stuff to market so um so as, I, as I'm going through there and thinking about the EA, it's I almost, and this is where I go through the block, the Netflix, the blockbusters. And this is the underpinning of my hypotheses these days. A lot of these companies that EAs are consulting for, they're bringing in big consultants, they're blockbuster and they don't freaking know it. And people like me are going to come through and we are going to be the Netflix. The question's when is, is the good deal. And so that's, that's why I look at EA is really EAs. And I take the founder mentality is if you want to be a good, if you architect, enterprise architect, you know, that's where you come for the founder. Um, but I'll stop right there. So, Bill, I, I think there's one. Uh, uh, so, as, as you were talking, uh, you know, you 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 kept saying architect. You didn't say you said enterprise architect a couple of times, which so said architect. Yeah. Keep in mind when we're describing architects, it's a family of roles. There are enterprise architects. So, I, so I usually when, whenever I'm in front of a a, a client, yeah. I draw a grid. You know, on one mm-hmm. axis, because as consultants, we love our two by twos, right? Um, on on one, one side is breadth, and on the other dimension is depth. depth. Okay. So on the far end, top right hand corner is your enterprise architect. They're looking across IT, they're looking across the business, they're also looking across industry. So they're looking even outside, say, hey, we want to be best in customer experience, and we're a bank. Well, are we good at customer experience? Well, classically, no. Why don't we look at Starbucks? They're really great at, you know, Apple, let's look at Apple, et cetera, and bring those insights in. So they've got that maximum kind of uh, aperture. But the thing is, with that maximum aperture, 
your ability to execute and make decisions at a very specific detailed level starts to diminish because you've got this broad purview. Your real responsibility is to facilitate, bring new knowledge in, et cetera. So that's where other roles start to come in, where you've got domain architects. These are architects with a speciality. So they go deep on very specific areas. You know, IoT, big data, business architecture, information architecture. You know, we can start to list off 20 or 30 different domain architects. But essentially, they go really deep in a speciality. And then your solution architects are the, the boots on, on the ground. They're, I think, more of what you were describing, Bill, in that uh, they're with the project teams or embedded with those project teams or helping to drive, you know, what standards we should use, not use, et cetera. But I would say the classic mistake that architects have made is where they've been rigid and said, we can't use these standards uh, or we can't use these types of techniques because it's not a standard. That's yeah. the wrong answer. Absolute wrong answer. And, and EAs are moving and, you'll, and you see the evidence of this to more product management instead of project or program management. So we see that shift. But, so, but just like all these roles, and I would even say, for a lot of the companies that I've talked to, let's say a 150-year-old insurance company, they'll never bring in a founder because you're going to piss everybody off. They're going to say, I don't feel comfortable. This guy's going to show me up. I've been here for 30 years. Who are you to tell me how I should do my business? Get the hell out of here, right? And I've had those very difficult conversations. Um, so they need someone that's in the organization that can bring the organization along the journey. And that's where the people skills come in. If you just bring in a Bill Gates, you bring in a Zuckerberg, you bring in a whoever, those are, so, and, and I know Bill G, I've, I've sat with him. He is a very unique person. He, he drops the F-bomb every third word. Uh, he will, at least back then, he doesn't do it now, I haven't met with him for a while now, but back then he has no problems shutting you down and sending you out of the room uh, with some choice words as you're walking out the door. You're not going to get away with that coming into a company. You're going to be like, who the hell is this guy? Right? So I, I, I say, I would say the approach needs to be tailored and absolutely right. Value realization and identification needs to be baked in. And it is baked into, if you look at the competencies of EAs and all these frameworks and such, that's a first class citizen in those frameworks, whether or not it's followed or not, that's a different story. <laughs> and I, you know, I can't, you know, um, uh, fix any of that. But as far as the good EAs out there, and there's not a whole, I mean, good as a, let, let's say, the ones that subscribe to how I would define enterprise architecture, there's fewer. Um, but those that are doing it that way, value realization is a core part of it. And we're not going to have a conversation if there isn't some sort of value conversation. So the last point I'll make, and I'll be quiet for a moment, is I think this pandemic is a great example of this. And so when I'm asked by other enterprise architects, what do I do? I say, drop what you're working on. Just drop it. Go and meet with one-on-one -on -one if you can, uh, or virtually, meet with your business decision makers and say, okay, I understand there's all this stuff going on. I'm probably the last person you want to talk to because you're fighting fires all over the place. However, I've got some skills that may be able to help you. Help me understand where I can help you. Even if you need me to pick up the phone and make phone calls to people, I'll do it. I'm here to help. And don't get all kind of high and mighty and you know, button up your tie and all this stuff and say, well, I'm an EA and I only do this. That's BS. You're there. You're, 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 there's no difference between IT and the business. The business is a construct that we invented in technology. We're all the business. Mm -hmm. And most likely you're a shareholder as well. So you should get off your butt and say, okay, let's do what we can do. Now, if I can use my skill set, my unique skill set to move things forward, fantastic. But if not, I'm here to help us move forward. That's the best thing EAs can do is to de-risk some of the tactical decisions that are happening right now and also know this thing's going to come back around in, in six months. So how can well, we've already messed, you know, we, we weren't prepared this time. How do we become more prepared for next time and start to have those conversations in the background while not disturbing the mission critical things that need to happen right this second? I, I, one point I want to make, right? I think what you just described is it's classic startup type of situation. You might be part of a large corporation. You are in the middle of uh, this whole pandemic uh, thing going on. It's not about what your role is. You're a chief operating officer or a chief financial officer. Everybody has to 
you know, make sure that the ship is moving, the ship is moving in a positive direction. So yeah. I think that's what you're saying. I mean, yeah. all the big boys needs to start behaving like kids now. And I'd like to add that from what I'm seeing in my perspective, there is more humility on that end than there's ever been. So now is the time to make that call and knock on the door because where you might have been turned away before with we're too smart, we don't need you. Everybody is in this absolute state of what do you got? I'm listening. And so now would be the time. And so if you as an enterprise architect or CIO or whatever type of leadership role, if you come in like a bull in a china shop, and you know, start to say, I'm all high and mighty and I've got the, the, the best picture of what we need to be right now. You've just you know, wrote, wrote your uh, de- death sentence there from a career perspective. Right. But if you come <laughs> as an enabler, they're gonna remember that forever. Right. It is, so what you're saying, Mike, it sounds like what I hear you saying is now is the time to do a, a exhaustive current state uh, analysis and bring forward your um, your framework for how the whole world should work that you worked out alone in a closet for uh, three months. Right? Chris, it needs to be at least 18 months to get this 18 thing. Months. Yeah, 18 sorry. months, plotter paper, got to get that on order. Yeah, the whole nine yards. <laughs> maybe yeah. maybe like two, 300 slides, you think? You know, that's- uh, oh, at least, at uh, least. You're killing me. <laughs> I'm gonna tell oh. you what, I could pro- oh. I could probably sell that and make at least 1.5 million off. So <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no, this uh, this is fantastic conversation, guys. And obviously, I mean, we could talk about we could talk about this forever, right? I mean, it could go on for a long time. Um, you know, I think it's it's in, in you know especially right now, right? Uh, bringing it home for the guy out there on the front line. Sorry, doing architecture, right? In air quotes, right? The the guy with the title architect be it an IT architect, a business architect, a domain architect, a solution architect, an application architect, data architect, right? Whatever it is, there, there are people out there um, at our clients um, that are uh, sitting there um, looking at the crisis um, that we have going on in the world right now. And um, I think, you know, very practical advice uh, for how they can you know, perform their role or how should they be performing their role or thinking about their role. And I think, you know, to, to what we've been saying, and everyone has said one version of this, right, it's, it's about enabling the business to survive, one, right, but then also when, when the crisis abates, right, is your company positioned, right, uh, to succeed, um, or did you cut everything to the bone and, you know, fire everybody during, <laughs> during the crisis? Right. And, now you have no capabilities left to go actually go do something. So I, this is good stuff. Um, I, I appreciate it. Um, Mike, I have one question for you uh, before um, I want to throw it to the others for their final thoughts here, and then we'll give you the final say. But one question for you. Um, could you give us a, your prediction? What will enterprise architecture look like in 2030? 2030. So, you know, I, I actually uh, agree with, with, with you, Bill, on um, uh, the name. I think the name is uh, challenging. There's a lot of baggage with the name. I hope by 2030 that uh, Enterprise Architecture will be rebranded into a name that's more applicable instead of the name that was given by John Zachman in 1989. Or eighty-seven, one of the two. Uh, you know, they go back and forth when he actually wrote his white paper, uh, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but but I hope that you know there there is a very clear um, shift to this is really what we do. We stop with the analogies with physical architecture. It's not about that, right? Uh, so that's one thing that I hope the industry evolves to, and that's going to help clear a lot of the the baggage as a result. Um, right now, there's a lot of role unclarity on roles like the CTO and what their role in all this is. And I'll tell you, I did the research at Gartner and, you know, uh, it's, it's a hot mess what these CTOs are doing. Some are highly technical and, you know, look over an ERP system. And then while others sit on a board of directors, you know, in T-Mobile and in Germany, there's their CTO sits on the board of directors. So it's all the, at the other end of the spectrum. And so, you know, we need to figure out where EAs and how EAs um, start to integrate with those folks. Um, I think EAs should also, you know, think about these predictions and, you know, uh, revisiting my 2020 predictions. I think that having a unification of the frameworks, like we see with project management, there's only a few. Uh, Same thing with risk management frameworks, there's only a few. You know, there should never be one, but there should be a few to pick from, but not 40. 
Uh, so I'm hoping that the noise gets significantly squelched. Uh, and, you know, we, we have a core set of, hey, we've got frameworks that the government has to use because there's laws and regulations. There are things that maybe from a vertical industry perspective that are so special and tailored that we do that. And then there's an all purpose, general purpose thing that we use like, like uh, Pembok and, you know, other things out there. Uh, so, so I hope for that. And then lastly, what I hope for, because EAs always are on the, on the back end and they never get any of the credit. I would love to see once by that point in time, you know, a, you know, an enterprise architect be on CNBC and say, I was the innovator that was able to drive this forward. And this is what I did and how I did it, et cetera. Instead of, you know, a CIO, which is really just a decision maker at the end of the day, they get the data presented to them and then they make a call because it's because they're accountable. They'll get fired if things go wrong. The EAs don't, but I would like to see an enterprise architect actually be able to stand up, not on a stage, but publicly in a press release, in an interview, to be publicly recognized for the innovation that they brought and significant changes to their business model. Shashi, what, what are your final thoughts on this topic? Um, one thing I would like to you know, emphasize on is I would see enterprise architects uh, being the technology watchdogs, potentially sitting uh, within corporate strategy group of large corporations. Uh, and all these companies are heavily impacted by technology and having a dotted line with their CTO or the CIO who are the top technology bosses, but their role needs to be elevated uh, and not just focus on day-to-day -day IT related stuff, but more become more and more business oriented. That is one thing uh, I would really like to see. And one thing which I picked from our today's conversation is, um, you know, comparing enterprise architect's role to uh, executive branch, judiciary branch, and then at the, the last branch, what you had. So I, I would love to use that going forward. Thanks, Mike. Not a problem. Bill, what, what are your thoughts here as you know, as you as you think about the way you've looked at architecture, how it's changing, and any advice you have for a practitioner? Uh, so I go back to like my underlying just based on it is value creation and value generation. Smaller companies aren't going to hire enterprise architects or architects in general, loosely speaking. Um, they're going to hire basically people that can wear multiple hats. Not that it, but I think EAs, in my opinion, should be able to wear multiple hats. One, if they do it right, they're going to be the first line against external disruption. And I say disruption as far as other people, our uh, customers are actually going a different direction with the value proposition in theirs. But they'll also be the first line to drive disruption too. And once an organization gets that right, I think they've done architecture uh, well. Um, because as you, you think of the core value prop or the core value creation, that's what somebody does, like a founder or something. And that goes back to my hypothesis of EAs need to be founders. Um, and I say loosely because there is a big variation on founders, but it's a mentality there. So um, yeah, I'll stop it there, but I also like the news. Like, I think that's the way that they'll get the news. Mike, to your point is somebody's going to walk in and be like, this is the X company enterprise architect who, you know, this built this product, built this company, built this industry. Once you see established 50 to 80 year companies doing blue ocean strategies, which I'm not sure have happened yet, but I also haven't gone and technically researched it. I will guarantee there'll be an architect that drove that. It's my like, I'll bet five bucks on it now. That's pretty definitive right there. I'll, I'll take that bet. Uh, well, does that include inflation in 30 years? Is that, is that part of the deal? Or if, if, somebody, if somebody comes back in 30 years and I lose that bet, then I'll give them the inflation. On okay, great. Fantastic. <laughs> Probably in Bitcoin at that point, right? Um, all right. Exactly. <laughs> Carol, what are, what are your thoughts on, on the architect, architecture, the role, and maybe right now how it's uh, apl applicable? Well, as I'm sitting here listening to this conversation, I'm thinking on the one hand, I've got this global big data group. And on the other hand, I've got this military manufacturing group. And the difference in how the EA would communicate is emotional intelligence, because both of them need these roles that, that Mike has laid out so beautifully. They both absent. I love the whole three branches. I think that, that that adds a structure to it that I have not heard before that makes more sense and gives more value to it, as opposed to the other part where you think, oh, that's one of those, those IT geeks and what do they know? Because I think sometimes they get thrown into that box. And the difference between is going to end up being emotional intelligence. Do you know how to adjust for the audience that you're talking to so that they can really see your value? Because that's, I think, the biggest issue is they can't always see it because they don't know how to decipher the message. 
or it's being delivered in a way that's just putting them off. There's an opportunity here, right, for companies to actually um, think about how they've been executing, how they're delivering for their clients, uh, their customers, et cetera. And, you know, architects are at are central to sort of that thinking process of, you know, what in, in three years or in two years or in, in 10 months, right? What, what do I want to be doing that is maybe different? Is there anything I can do now in the midst of the crisis that I can prepare myself for when this crisis is over so that I can compete more effectively? And architects and architecture is at the core of that. And I don't mean, right, you know, the, the architect that knows about the ERP system or the architect that knows about how many MIPS on the mainframe are running, right? Um, that sort of thing. Like I'm talking about a, a an architect from the perspective of the thinker, right? A, a thinking person, and they can be in different disciplines, right? Around around the business, but you know, I, I I think right now is just an opportune time if you're a practitioner to be, you know, you know, not doing the exhaustive current state analysis uh, task or the PMO task, right? But like thinking of you know where can I help, right? Uh, this business uh, can get through the weather the crisis, but then compete more effectively when when it's over. So, uh, Mike, I'll give you the last thought on this. Um, we need to figure out what's most important to the company, and that is in terms of value, both benefit in dollars and risk to the company. Because if I'm going to make a million dollars off this, but it introduces a significant amount of reputational risk, which I've got an extreme low tolerance for, I'm not doing it, even if I get five, 10, 20, 30 million dollars out of it. It's just not there. The value equation doesn't come out. So I use a, a, a mechanism called risk-adjusted value. Uh, maybe it's the inner banker in me. I don't know. But it's a tried and true approach uh, that uh, banks have been using for a century. So I figure you can't go too wrong then. Um, so always start with where your business wants to go. And sometimes you got to do a mini ideation session uh, if that's required. Uh, sometimes it's just going and saying, okay, let's revisit your goals over the next year and our long range strategy to make sure we're not going to the current state analysis and documenting a bunch of stuff that doesn't matter. That's the last thing you want to do is document the stuff that you don't really need to do anything with right now. So focus on the most important stuff because you're a, a valuable, precious resource. That's a lot of money for the company. So focus on the things that are going to move the needle for your company. So that's number one. You know, always start with future state vision, then revisit current state to then assess where the holes and the, all the bodies are buried, essentially. Um, second key thing is always be business first. You know, straight up, you know, yes, you know, technology may get you into the conversation. However, you need to quickly pivot to, okay, so what are the impacts to my business? Think about the regulatory bits etc. Part of thinking uh, as a business person first is bringing those those roles organically into your process. So as you're going through your architecture methodology, you should have the lawyers in the room, you should have the auditors in the room, you should have the business decision makers in the room, you should have all these people in the room so that as you're going through the process, they're with you along that journey, they're making those decisions because the last thing you want to do as an architect is make a bunch of decisions. Then when it actually goes to the person that's responsible for it, they say, whoa, 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 time out. Why'd you make that decision? I'm not on board with that. Organically bring them into the process. And that's a classic mistake that architects have made for years, all, a lot of IT roles where they say there's this brick wall between us and the business, which doesn't exist. I've been trying to find the business for 30 years. I can't find him. I don't know where he's hiding. Um, but it, it's just another abstraction from getting away from real detail, real things to, 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 to latch on to. Third, um, if you're going to be an EA, you better get comfortable being uncomfortable. Okay. So what that means is disrupt yourself. Uh, it means, hey, I'm one, one model that I employed with, with my EA teams was a rotation. So uh, you were assigned to a, a division or a line of business for a year and you would have to build and nurture and foster relationships within that division. And then the next year you would rotate to another and you'd have to start all over again. So the, the idea was, was you were always on, you know, on your tippy toes. Uh, you weren't getting comfortable and, you know, uh, essentially resting on your laurels, but you were forced to be uncomfortable and challenge yourself challenge them with diverse thinking because you're bringing the thinking from another line of business that this line of business not may not have been thinking. So you're bringing those new insights. Now, over the course of five to 10 years, now you've got an EA team that has deep relationships with 
everyone in your business. That's really where the payoff is, is over time. Now you've, because you've delivered value or hopefully have delivered that value. Uh, now you've got all those deep relationships across and now you've got a really high octane team. Uh, and so a lot of this stuff I've got actually on my blog. So I'll, I'll insert the proverbial plug here, you know, so www.mikethearchitect.com. That is your definitive source for all things enterprise architecture. Come and visit us today. Um, okay, so we so we got that commercial off. Um, but also, you know, uh, one thing that I've I've started to do with 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 colleagues like 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 yourselves is you know I've spun up a podcast as well, and so I invite all of you to join that as well. And you know one you know one flavor is all around. Uh, it's it's called V Next, and so it's everything innovation from emerging trends, predictions, uh, specific technologies, et cetera. It's, and the process for innovation management and what that looks like and how that changes. Um, so we just had you know, uh, the uh, uh, chief architect for blockchain at GE Aviation Digital just record one with us talking about how they're transforming the aviation marketplace using you know, IOT and blockchain to, you know, significantly streamline that, that industry, which I had no idea was just so manual and crazy behind the scenes. And I'm kind of glad I didn't know. Um, but also we're going to revisit the Mike, the architect stuff, and I'm going to actually build out a, a revisited series. So I, I built all this content over the past 15 years. I want to understand how well it is to hold up. Where can we build on that? And, and, and do that. So there'll be some rich media in some form for that. Uh, so we'll, we'll be doing more of that as well. And where can, where can people find that podcast, Mike? Uh, you can find it on iTunes, Spotify, all the, all the, all the, all the spots. All the spots. And, wh and what is the official title of the podcast? Uh, v Next. V Next. Fantastic. All right. So guys, thank you all for joining. I appreciate it. Um, Shashi Shramali, thank you for being here. Bill Bensing, Carol Hamilton, and Mike Walker, thank you. Uh, I'm Chris Lockhart. Um, everyone uh, can go to Google, the Google, and put in consultants saying things, and you can find all the good stuff. And when you find that YouTube channel, you know, click the bell and get the notifications on when we post our amazing stuff. I think it's, is it over here? It's wherever it is, right? Uh, and like us, like us and, uh, you know, uh, all that good stuff. So appreciate it, guys. Thank you all. Um, we'll see you all next time.